Now this morning I want to speak to you about uh, boldness and courage. They're very admirable qualities, necessary qualities, but unfortunately rare qualities. Now when you think of these noble attributes, what first comes to your mind? Now what personifies boldness and courage for you? Or perhaps the example that immediately comes to mind is the men and women who have gone to war throughout history. You know, particularly those Australian troops who went to fight for our freedom. Or soldiers who were fired at, endured atrocious conditions, witnessed unthinkable atrocities, laying down their own life so we may be free. Is this the image that epitomizes courage to you? Or perhaps your mind immediately goes to the martyrs of the church, or the men and women who laid down their lives for the sake of the gospel, who were burnt at the stake, or arrested, imprisoned, flogged because they would not forsake Jesus. Or to you, this is boldness personified. And whatever comes to mind, One thing that is for certain is that we find these qualities very admirable. They are attractive. We think highly of people who possess these particular characteristics. And my friend, what we must understand is that we as Christians need these attributes. We need courage. We need boldness, particularly in the times that we live. For our society has alarmingly become increasingly ungodly, and this has happened at quite a quick rate. Biblical principles that this country were founded upon are under constant attack. The dynamite of immorality and wicked philosophies is blasting away the biblical foundations of our society. We see this in the attacks on marriage, with the acceptance of homosexuality, the disgraceful abortion epidemic, The satanic philosophies that are pushed, the gender-neutral pandemic that is sweeping through our country, our religious freedoms, our religious liberties that are slowly being removed and eradicated. Look at the Israel Folau situation. My friends, this is the time that we live. We have enjoyed great freedom and protection as Christians, and praise God for that. But as our country slides further down the moral slope, Things are only going to get harder for Christians. Jail time for preaching Christ or confronting certain social behaviours and beliefs is probably a lot closer than we realise. Now, I'm not trying to peddle some fear campaign. I think I'm just being realistic. And Jesus predicts the downfall and the debauchery of society before his return. And I believe that's very evident around us. Right now, our community and our country needs courageous Christians. Now, men and women who will be brave enough to take a stand for Christ no matter the cost. Be willing to confront the gross atrocities in our society no matter the scorn and ridicule that may be forthcoming. Olismore, Australia doesn't need followers of Jesus who are crippled with fear. It doesn't need churches who simply compromise to the trends of society, but rather it needs churches, it needs men and women who will stand up, who will confront, 
who will speak the truth in love, defend the truth of sacred scripture and share the gospel message no matter what the cost may be. And it needs courageous, not compromising Christians. And unfortunately, there is a void of believers who will stand up, who will speak the truth and do what is right before God. Now, there is a great requirement for courageous Christians, and we have an example or a model of what that looks like in the text before us. Now, the early church faced persecution. They lived in a wicked society, not too dissimilar to our own, that was heavily influenced by paganism and immorality. There were authorities who wanted to silence the Christian witness, very similar to what we are beginning to see. And yet, despite the persecution, despite the difficulties and wickedness that was surrounding them, there were bold Christians who stood up. And these Christians made a great difference. And I want to examine one such case. So if you haven't already, could you please open to Acts chapter 4? Acts chapter 4, we will take our reading from verse 13. But before we do this, allow me uh, to give you some context. Peter and John had just gone up to the temple and they had met the lame man on the way. And as was common, the lame man asked for alms. And Peter declared these famous words. Perhaps you remember the Sunday school song. No silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And this lame man, through the power of God, was miraculously healed and he went away praising God. But this particular healing was very public and hence it was undeniable. Everyone knew who this man was. And when word spread that this was done in the name of Jesus Christ, it gave great credence to the gospel that was preached. And hence the religious authorities in witnessing what had unfolded decided to arrest these men with the goal of halting the movement that they were involved in. Peter and John were both imprisoned and were subsequently dragged before the Sanhedrin and were unfairly interrogated. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish Supreme Court and they specialised in religious matters. They did not possess the power that they once did, but they did have an agreement with Rome. And when they ruled on things that Rome didn't care about, such as religious issues, Rome would back the Sanhedrin. And hence they had authority, they had power to execute punishments. And it is these men who bring in Peter and John and they launch an intense interrogation. And they pose the question, by whose name did you perform this miracle? And let me tell you, they knew the answer. Picture Peter and John being dragged before the court. The court is dressed in all of their garb. You can see all the pomp and the ceremony. They look the parts and they're staring in an intimidating fashion at the accused. And Peter, in the presence of these men, these men who were respected and revered in society, and yet with great boldness, he presents a stunning defense And then he launches into a powerful presentation of the gospel. 
we have this very famous verse in verse 12 which says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the message that Peter preached. So that is the setting for our text. Peter and John have been arrested, they've been brought before the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin are deliberating as to what they should do with these men. For they thought that they had stopped this movement in dealing with Jesus. Remembering these men played an integral part in assuring the crucifixion. But now this Jesus movement had gained unprecedented momentum. And hence they wanted to grind it to a halt. Let's pick up reading at verse 13. The word of God says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above forty years old, on whom this miracle of healing was shown. Amen. It did not take long for the persecution of the church to commence. What we have before us is the first recorded instance of the enemies of Christ striving to halt the spread of the gospel. And they do this by making the lives of its proclaimers difficult, striving to implement a ban to prohibit its proclamation. Now one could sympathise if Peter and John crumbled under this intense interrogation. Oh, humanly speaking, to come before the same council who had a month or two previously condemned Jesus to death, and had worked relentlessly behind the scenes to ensure that Rome would perform the crucifixion of Jesus. It was these same men who arrested and interrogated Peter and John. So so we could appreciate if there was some fear. But if this council expected these men to fold easily, that impression was quickly eradicated. For we are informed in verse 13 that they were struck, that they were captivated, they marveled at the boldness of these men. But these men were courageous, for they spoke out what they believed. And Peter didn't hold back. He didn't water down the message, but rather he declared that it was in the name of Jesus that this miracle was performed. 
And just in case there was any confusion, he said, you're Jesus, the one that you crucified. Very pointed, very direct. He identified very clearly and obviously with Jesus. He stood with him and this boldness struck these wicked men to the core. And the Sanhedrin now had a problem on their hands. Or what were they going to do? It was obvious that this healing miracle performed could not be denied. That there was too much proof. And this miracle was aiding in the spread of the gospel. And isn't it fascinating that this miracle and the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus is never denied by these men. And if it was possible for them to simply deny it, don't you think they would have done it? So this adds to to the veracity of the resurrection and this healing miracle. And now they are in quite the predicament. What could they do? How could they stop this movement amongst the people? How could they prohibit these men from preaching the gospel? It was this that they had to decide as they deliberated together. I notice in verse 15... Now, as per custom, Peter and John, and most probably the healed man, would leave the room. And the council would then communicate among themselves and determine the judgment that was to be passed. This is very similar to a modern judge returning to his chamber to deliberate over the sentence that he will pass. And obviously removing the interrogated would allow the council to have an open and frank discussion and determine, and determine sorry, the appropriate response. Now I do wonder what was said in this deliberation. It must have been a time of frustration and even fear for these men. Now, for they knew that Peter and John had broken no laws and they also had... You know, the public supports. Thousands of souls have been saved. And isn't it ironic that the boldness and courage of Peter and John is highlighted and yet this council lacks it severely. And it also reveals their hard-heartedness. They saw the miracle. They knew that they could not deny it and yet they still refused to believe. They could have admitted that they were wrong, repented and believed, but no, they deny the clear evidence. You know, how terrible the sin of unbelief is. And it shows that the council was not interested in the truth. But rather they wanted some way to avoid it and suppress it. And in having very few options to halt the proclamation of Jesus Christ, they employ one of the most commonly used weapons of Satan. And that is employing threats. Use bullying to produce silence. The Greek word translated threat is a very strong word. This is not an empty threat or a soft warning, but rather it is designed to intimidate, to scare into silence. And they issue a complete prohibition Outlawing the proclamation of Jesus, demanding complete silence. And this edict would incriminate them in any future case before the courts. And no doubt varying consequences would have been attached to it if they refused to obey. So this was their great play. To make a law that prohibited the communicating of the gospel 
and performing miracles in Jesus' name. They strive to stifle this movement, hoping that demanding silence would quench the fire, would stop its spread, would stop its effect. This was Satan's plan from the beginning to silence the church and not much has changed. But what would these men do? What would Peter and John do? Would they hearken to such a command? Notice their answer in verses 19 and 20, which says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now what a courageous response. That the intimidating threat had been made, demanding silence. But the response is, sorry, no can do. We won't do that for we can't do that. And they imply that this edict was contrary to the will of God and hence they couldn't obey it. Oh, Peter and John were put into a scenario that involved either obeying the civil authorities or obeying God. And they boldly pronounced that they would obey their God over man. Now, perhaps this creates a problem in your mind. You know, the Bible tells us that we are to obey our government authorities, doesn't it? Romans 13 makes this very clear. So how, how do we reconcile this? Well, we need to understand that God has implemented various authorities, whether that be in the home, in the church, or in governments. And we as Christians ought to obey our authorities, even if we think their rules are stupid and impractical. But there is a very clear and distinct line. If an authority asks us to do something that is contrary to God's written word, we are not obliged to obey. In fact, we must disobey. For we must obey God before man. Think of some of the cases throughout the scriptures. There is the midwives in the book of Exodus who did not obey that terrible edict to kill all the little boys. There was Moses' parents who hid their baby. There was Daniel and his friends who refused to bow down before that image. And then there is Peter and John who refused to be silenced. Now God is the ultimate authority. And that is why we are to obey God whenever another authority comes into conflict with God's word. And hence, in some circumstances, it is expected that the Christian disobey the state or disobey another authority, for no human authority has the power to command us to disobey God. And this was the courageous stand that Peter and John took, that they would not allow these threats to silence them. And what a great turnaround this is for Peter. From the one who pathetically denied his Lord thrice, even when that little girl pressured him and he denied his Lord. And now here he stands before these powerful rulers, boldly refusing to hearken to their demands, standing up for Jesus, refusing to comply no matter what the cost may be. He was now completely unashamed of his Lord and would boldly and bravely continue to share the gospel and allow no one or nothing to silence him. And beloved, this is boldness. To be willing to speak the truth in every situation, 
Speak what you mean, mean what you speak, no matter what the cost may be. And Peter and John exemplify this. And this is what we so desperately need. Men and women who will take a stand for Christ in a very wicked time. Men and women who will not be ashamed of Jesus, who will not be silenced, but will speak the truth of Scripture. Now, of course, we must be kind, we must be gracious and winsome. Notice that Peter and John, they were very courteous and respectful in how they approached this. Boldness is not brashness. We must not be rude, aggressive and angry. Grab someone by the collar and shake them. Definitely not. We need to be winsome in how we speak the truth. But my friend, we cannot be silent. We need to stand up in our various spheres of influence. We need to share the gospel. We need to confront the gross atrocities of our time in the appropriate way. We cannot allow Satan to silence us for that is what he wants. So the question is, how, how can we possess this boldness and courage? And I want to very quickly reveal four things from the text that will help us take a courageous stand to speak boldly, no matter what the cost may be. And we'll move through this very quickly. Number one, we must be spirit filled. Notice in verse 8, Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. This is a reoccurring reference throughout the book of Acts. The filling of the Spirit bringing boldness that enabled one to speak the truth. And this should not surprise us because this is what Jesus promised. Luke chapter 12 verses 11 and 12 says, And when they bring you unto the synagogues and unto the magistrates and powers, take ye no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. The Holy Spirit would give the words to say and the courage to say it. The filling of the Spirit which comes when the believer walks in obedience and submits to the Word and the Spirit is key to possessing boldness. We must yield to the control of the Spirit for that unleashes His power in our lives. Peter yielded to the Spirit and this boldness was forthcoming. You know, if we are not walking in the Spirit, If we are not filled and controlled by the Spirit, then we will not take a stand for Christ. We will not possess the boldness and courage that we so desperately need and is so desperately needed in the times that we live. If we want to stand up for Jesus, we need to be Spirit-filled. Secondly, we must spend time with Jesus. Notice at the end of verse 13... The council acknowledges that these men had been with Jesus. Now I think that this is certainly speaking of the physical reality that they had been and seen with Jesus. But I think it's more than this. It's interesting that this phrase is included in the same verse that their boldness is acknowledged. And hence this fact that they had been with Jesus means that he had influenced them. And that is revealed in how they responded. These men could see Jesus in this response. Jesus had affected them and was coming out in how they responded. 
You know, the time spent with Christ enabled or motivated this courageous stand. You know, it is a fact of life that the more time you spend doing something, studying something, the more you know about something, the more passionate you become about it. I think of your hobbies or, or think of sports. The more you know about it, the more time you spend immersed in it, the more passionate you will become. And this is the same as anything, politics, your job, a particular writer, and so forth. And this is the same with Jesus. The more time we spend with Him, the more we know Him, the more we are immersed in Him, we will be passionate about Him. We will stand up for Him, speak for Him. We will possess courage and boldness to speak. To stand no matter what the cost may be. Because Jesus means more to us than anything else. If we want courage and boldness. We need to spend time with Jesus. Immerse ourselves in him. Thirdly we need to fear God more than man. How often it is a fear of what one may say, think or do. That cripples our courage. That throws a bucket of water on the fire of boldness. How often it is a fear of men that silences us. But my friend, we need to possess a greater fear of God than we do man. That is the key to possessing boldness. To be more concerned about what God thinks, will say and do than what man thinks, says and does. And this is so obvious in the text. Peter and John feared God. Their allegiance to Him was solid and no threat would shake that. that They were concerned with what their God wanted, what their God would think, more than they were concerned about the opinions of the authorities of the land. And that is so vital to acquiring boldness. Your fear for God being greater than a fear of man. I was recently reading about John Knox, and it was said of him that he feared God so much that he never feared the face of any man. Now, can that be said of you? Can that be said of me? I wonder how often we are cowardly and silent because our fear of men is greater than our fear of God. And fourthly, we need to ask God for it. I want to draw your attention to verse 29, which says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Now, if you were in this situation, what would have you asked for in prayer? Now, I think I would have asked for the persecution to be removed. Or ask the Lord to deal with the men who are making these threats, who are making my life difficult. But notice what the believers prayed for. They prayed for boldness, more boldness, more courage. They didn't ask the Lord to remove the difficulties, but to give great courage within the difficulties. And if we want courage, we need to ask God for it. You know the biblical principle. I wonder how often we have not because we ask not. Now, when was the last time you asked the Lord for courage and boldness and an opportunity to exercise it? Now, this needs to be a daily prayer. One that we pray for ourselves, one that we pray with our children, one that we pray for one another. 
No, ask the Lord and He will grant it. Now my friend, we are living in a time when things could get very difficult for Christians rather quickly. We live in a society that is sliding down the moral slope at a rapid rate of knots. We live when religious freedoms and liberties could be restricted at any time. We live with many people who hold to very ungodly philosophies and standards. And our community and our country needs bold believers, not silent saints. Courageous, not cowardly Christians. We need to stand up for Jesus. Speak the truth, even when it completely contradicts the common opinions of the time. Share the gospel. Be bold witnesses. Don't be scared about knowing what to say, for remember, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide and give you the words in the given scenario. You you may think that that you are not smart enough or or know enough about the Bible to, to speak on the problems in our society. But but notice that Peter and John were uneducated. The council marveled at this in verse 13. These men were not educated in the Jewish law from the chief schools of the time. They didn't have the university education, a seminary degree. My friend, you don't have to be super intelligent. You don't have to be the most gifted. God can and will use any individual. Our job, according to verse 20, is to speak the things which we have seen and heard. Now, may we have the courage to do this, to to speak the truth, for that is what our God expects from us. Now, beloved, speaking up and speaking out is a part of demonstrating our love for God and our love for our neighbours. Now, may we be bold for standing up for what is right and speaking the truth at, at school, at work, at university, in the social setting. And may they around us know that we follow the Lord Jesus Christ, know that we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God and that it governs how we live, what we accept, what is right, what is wrong. And may we be infused with a holy courage to stand up for Jesus no matter what the costs may be. And that cost may end up being quite great. Rejection from family and friends, loss of approval or influence. It may hinder employment opportunities or chances of promotion. It may cost a lot. Following Jesus is not easy and Jesus warns us about that. But my friend, we must take a stand. Because let me tell you, a cowardly Christian, a silent saint will have no effect. A compromising Christian that strives to harmonize the scriptures with the wicked philosophies around us will become a joke. Because notice in the text what these wicked men marveled at. It was their courage. that They didn't agree with them, but, but they marveled. It had an effect. Now, courageous Christians will have an effect on the community and the country. Now, I guarantee that Israel Folau has a far greater effect than the Christian who thinks accepting homosexual behavior is the way to win the world. So so what will it be for you? The bold believer or the silent saint? The the courageous or the cowardly Christian? How are you regarded at work? Do do they know that you follow Christ? Do, Do you stand up for him? 
What, what about at school? You know, do, do your friends know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? That you love Him more than anything else? And what about they you play sport with? Or do you have the courage to share the Bible's views on marriage and sexuality? In whatever sphere it may be, are you known as one who stands up for Jesus? Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount that we are salt and light. That this is what we are. This is our function. We are salt. But if we lose our saltiness, we are good for nothing. That is the word of Jesus. And I put it to you that the silent saint, the cowardly Christian, has lost their saltiness. Now, beloved, may God help us to be salt and light. And may we stand up for Jesus no matter the cost. May, may we be filled with courage and boldness, sharing the gospel, defending the truth, for that is what Lismore needs so desperately. That's the type of Christian that will make a difference, the one that God will use. Now, may we this morning confess all fear and timidity and compromise and ask the Lord to infuse us with a holy boldness and take a courageous stand for Christ. And for that is the type of person that God uses to make a difference for His glory. You know, may our God help us with this, to take a stand for Jesus. May all those in our sphere of influence know where we stand. And may we be bold in supporting others who have a greater sphere of influence who stand up for what the Scriptures teach. May we be vocal and use legal means to object ungodly practices. And may we pray and support those organisations who do a great work in preserving biblical truth and morals. But most importantly, may we as individuals be bold in all that we do and say and stand up for Jesus, to defend the truth. For my friend, God uses courageous Christians. And may we be a vessel that he can use. May we, by his grace, be bold and stand up no matter what the cost may be. For that is our reasonable service to Jesus Christ. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Amen.